on uh, Acts 11, but then the Lord said, no, that's not what I want you to minister on. So I'm trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So I, then I started writing on hope, and he said, no, that's not it either. And then he gave me all these scriptures, and so the title of my message, it's a very strange title, it's unique, um, is Failure is Victory. So I'm sure when you hear that title, you're thinking, can there be victory and failure? Hmm. We shall find out. <laughs> so um, I was blessed to spend almost a month, just shy of three days, um, in Tanzania. And um, the Lord really blessed me with so much down there. Um, I did a, I was able to lead a, a conference that was, ended up, I thought it was three days and it ended up being eight. Because <laughs> we followed the Holy Spirit. And it was on entering into the season of the seer season for the prophetic. So that was really powerful. And then I led a marriage seminar, which was, that really blew me away. So that was great. God is good. Hallelujah. But better than that, I am now back home because I consider Uganda my home base, especially Luboa. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Now, actually, I'm only here now for another eight days, and then I go off to Kenya for three and a half weeks. But I'll be back in June, and I'll be here for Daniel's wedding. Daniel, could you stand up? We want to honor you. Yes. He's getting married in July. Hallelujah. So, so you want to write that down. Failure is victory. Because that's a proclamation, isn't it? Hallelujah. But many of you may have that question. How can there be victory in failure? Right? Hmm. We are going to find out. If we could turn to 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to read it pretty, actually, yeah, 1 through 12. While you're turning there, I'll start reading. See here, Paul recalls his visit to the Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a waste of time. As you know, we suffered persecution and were mistreated in Philippi, yet... Yet, we were encouraged by our God to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For our appeal to you does not spring from deceit, impure motives, or trickery, rather because we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We speak as we do, not trying to please people, but God, who tests our motives. As you know, we did not come with flattering words or with a scheme to make money. God is our witness. We did not seek praise from people, from you, or from anyone else. Even though, as apostles of the Messiah, we, made, we might have made such demands. Instead, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother tenderly caring for her own children. We cared so deeply for you that we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. That is how dear you were to us. 
Brothers, you remember our labor and toil. We worked night and day so that we would not become a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God to you. You and God are witnesses of how pure, honest, and blameless our conduct was among you who believe. You know very well that we treated each of you the way a father treats his children. We comforted and encouraged you, urging you to live in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. I know that was a long scripture, but I didn't want to lift it out of context. I wanted to keep the content there because the basic life message out of that scripture, it's about sharing your life, not just a message. And this is always my hope and my goal, that I'm not just sharing a message, I'm sharing my life whenever I come before any congregation, whether it be here or in Kenya or Tanzania or even in the bush. I got to go in the bush in Tanzania. So it was very hot. (laughs) Amen. So it's about sharing our life, not just a message. And part of the truth in sharing life is to be genuine, is to be authentic, and to share the difficult moments. Not to project a life of perfection. Because true perfection can only be met when we're seated at the right hand of the throne with the heavenly Father. Amen? Amen? So, and besides, perfection can be a spirit. I believe it's better to strive for God's excellence in everything we do. Excellence is far different and far greater than his perfection. Amen? So in that, again, I want to stress the importance of being transparent. If you're going through a struggle, Sure, now you might not need to tell everybody the exact struggle, but if you have a relationship where you are truly accountable because of the relationship, not out of legalism, sure, be real. Hallelujah. So I can be, be very real and say, I sweated to death when I was in Tanzania. I literally, it was so humid, I would literally drip sweat off of my face. But God, but God. And I guess the other thing I'm noticing, this is to be accountable, I'm noticing, so June 15th, which I'll be here to celebrate my 66th birthday, right? I will be 66, hallelujah. But in that, I have to be honest in saying The things I could do six years ago, I can't seem to do quite as well or persist quite as graciously as I used to, like the heat. So there you go. And traveling, air flight, that's another hard one. All right. Does everyone have their swords, which may be on their phones, or if you carry your, good, lift up your swords if you have one. There we go. Hallelujah. We're going to turn to Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, and then also still in Matthew 2, but 16 and 18. 
This is the visit of the wise men. After Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the reign of King Herod, wise men arrived in Jerusalem from the east and asked, Where is the one who was born the king of Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I know, normally you hear this at Christmas time, right? <laughs> when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed as well as was all of Jerusalem. He called together all the high priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, because that is what was written by the prophet. O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secret, then Herod secretly called together the wise men, found out from them the time the star had appeared. So that was a sign and wonder, by the way, when the star appeared. And sent them to Bethlehem. He told them, as you go, search carefully for the child. When you find him, tell me so that I too may go and worship him. After listening to the king, they set out. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were ecstatic with joy. So remember, they saw the star. 11. After they went into the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure sacks and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So now we're dropping down to verse 16. Same chapter, Matthew 2. Oops, I just... Uh, sorry. Matthew 2, verse 16. Herod flew into a rage when he learned that he had been tricked by the wise men. So he ordered the execution of all male children in Bethlehem and all its neighboring regions who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had determined from the wise men. Amen? So there was an edict to kill the children. Next, God rescues Daniel from the lions. I promise you I'm going somewhere with all these scriptures. <laughs> Let's turn to Daniel chapter 6, verses 19 through, well, I, I really want to look at 25, but just to bring context, I'm going to read from 19 through 27. In the morning, at the earliest sign of daylight, the king got up and rushed to the lion's den. So remember, he had put Daniel into the lion's den. As he approached the den, he called out to Daniel in a worried voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you continually serve, able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and closed the lions' mouths so that they have not harmed me because I was found to be innocent before him. Nor have I done any harm to you, O king. 
Then the king was delighted and gave an order to haul Daniel up from the den. So Daniel was hauled up out of the den. He had no injury of any kind because he had trusted in his God. Amen. The king gave another order, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children and their wives, they did not even reach the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So this is the scripture I want to focus on, verse 25 to 27. The king, then King Darius, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language groups who were living in all the land. Peace and prosperity. I have issued an edict that throughout all the dominion of my kingdom, people are to revere and fear the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His authority is forever. He rescues and delivers and performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. So remember we talked about the star, the eastern star that led the wise men. That was in the heavens. And now here was a signs and wonders on the earth. Daniel was rescued from the lion's den. Amen. He, God, has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Amen. So the signs in the heavens, Daniel 6.27. He rescues and delivers and performs signs and wonders in the heavens. And on earth, he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And then reviewing Matthew 2.10. When they saw the star, they were ecstatic with joy. So miracles, signs, and wonders. The wise men saw signs and wonders in the heavenlies. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it wrote about a sign and wonder, right? Daniel should have been eaten by the lions, but God closed the mouth of the lions and Daniel wasn't even harmed. Amen? So there are many signs and wonders that we can share and talk about, right? So one of my favorite scriptures is in Revelations, and I always forget if it's 12, 11, or 11, 12, but that scripture is it's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony that we overcome and we love our own lives even unto death. That scripture talks about the importance of Sharing your testimony. Because sharing your testimony, as you've heard me say over and over and over, brings help, hope to someone else. And then they know that they're not the only one going through that difficult time. Going through that struggle. Amen? Signs and wonders. You know, sometimes we think, oh, it has to be earth-shaking. It has to be something written in the heavenlies. But you know, a sign and a wonder can be getting up today. A sign and a wonder can be being able to breathe without having an asthma attack. Right? I mean, I could go on and on and on. To me, it's your perspective. Right? It's our perspective. 
It doesn't have to be some earth-shaking miracle, although those are great. They touch, they touch the multitudes. But for your life to share your testimony, that moment, it could be receiving a job. That's a sign and a wonder. Yeah? yeah. Surviving COVID at this point is a sign and a wonder. Yes. Yes. Amen? Having enough food to eat, especially with the cost rising because of our, this wonderful war that Putin has began, right? That can be a sign and a wonder. Amen? The supernatural is something that God does on a daily basis, but can we see it? Are we looking for it? Or are we waiting for it to hit us upside the head? Hmm? Nothing can stop our God. He makes room for the outcasts. He was transfigured so that we each would have a destiny instead of having the destiny of eternal death. We have the destiny of eternal life. Amen? See, people have marked our journey. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. And I'll start with verse 13. I want to focus on 14 through 17. But again, it's important to read the word in context and not lift it out and just make a whole doctrine on one phrase. Amen? When Jesus had come to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus told them, how blessed you are, Simon, son of Jonah, since flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, though my Father in heaven has. But if you remember this story, Peter denies Jesus how many times? Three, right? So, and that you can look at that scripture later on, but the scripture that addresses that is Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. In verse 70, but he denied him, this is Peter, in front of them all. And he actually said, I don't know what you're talking about. Then in verse 72, again, Peter denied it and swore, ooh, he swore, with an oath, I don't know the man. And then again in verse 74, then he began to curse violently. I don't know the man, he swore solemnly. Okay, sorry about that. My tablet keeps, there we go, keeps closing my message. So obviously the enemy doesn't want you to hear this whole message. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm just totally...
Okay. That's a good message. Here we are. This is really weird. Um, hold on, because oh, there we go. It's closed. This message now. This is the fourth time I've opened it, and it's just closed it again. I'll need to see if I can pull it from Dropbox because it just keeps closing it. No, I just had to open up Dropbox because for some reason it keeps crashing. Thank you for being patient. Notice I'm not panicking. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) All right. Open. It's opening. There we go. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So in the world, some of the things that happened biblically would have been considered failure. Right? John the Baptist He baptized Jesus, and then he goes to jail and gets beheaded. The world would say that was a failure, right? Jesus is crucified and then raised from the dead. Satan thought that was his victory, so the world would think that is failure. Remember the message? What did I say the message was? Failure can be victory. Amen? Let's turn to John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Jesus appears to Thomas in this. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas told them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger into them, and put my hand into his side, I'll never believe. We all know that scripture is doubting Thomas, right? Mm. 26. A week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them, even though the doors were shut. Jesus came. He stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he told Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Take your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, it is because you have seen me that you have believed? How blessed are those who have never seen me and yet have believed. Thomas wouldn't believe unless he could touch it. And then he becomes the first disciple to call Jesus Christ God. 
Amen. So that particular scripture reminds me. So in my idiocy in the past, in my stupidity, in my pride in the past, you know, inside of my marriage as a minister, I had presumed, don't presume, please, don't do what I did. I had presumed that I was the spiritual one, right? Because I was a minister of God. Well, that was a lie from the pits of hell. And I would, I would, for, for a season, I believed this. And then God gave me this very scripture that I just read. And he explained to me, he said, Kimberly, you are actually less spiritual than your husband. What? <laughs> he sits and he plays his saxophone, saxophone for three hours, but I never see him pray. And God says, that's the way he worships. Okay. He said, Kimberly, you came to me by signs and wonders. So I was supernaturally healed. I had a progressive healing in motion. And I had a healing that could not be explained outside of Jesus Christ doing a supernatural miracle. And I've had many supernatural, miraculous healings of broken bones, of acid in my eye, of being healed from cancer. I mean, I have many. But what God told me was, I came the easy way. I came because I saw signs and wonders in my life. But it took a greater measure of faith for my husband, who would never have a sign and a wonder or a miracle in his life. And yet, and yet, he still loved God, even though he never got to have a personal Damascus experience. I was humbled. How many of you have been fortunate to have that Damascus experience where God spoke to you in some miraculous way or manifested in your life in a miraculous way? Not too many. All right, now, how many of you have chosen not because you've seen these miracles? How many of you have actually chosen to love God, to follow Jesus Christ, not just to make him your Savior, but to make him your Lord. Amen. All of you are much more spiritual than me. Seriously, you had a greater measure of faith. Amen. I applaud you. You can't there. I'm clapping. <laughs> I do. Applaud yourselves. Hallelujah. 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 I'm blessed to be in your presence. How have you been handling the pain of your existence? It's a rhetorical question, of course. But sometimes we have overwhelming difficulties which can bring overwhelming pain. I've had times like that. I've had times where I didn't know where I was going to sleep since my husband died. I've had times when 
I had literally an air mattress and a sleeping bag. When I couldn't stay at my daughter's house, I would stay at a friend's house. I called it surfing the floor with my mattress. But God, I chose to have faith in him that he would bring provision in his perfect timing. I will say his perfect timing often misses a lot of chances to be early. In my opinion. But you know, he knows he knows what we can handle. Sometimes he just thinks we can handle more than we think we can handle. Right? Amen. So think about that. How do you handle the pain in your existence when you're having an overwhelming time? Can you lean into Jesus Christ? Can you actually embrace that pain? Will you embrace that pain? Not can you. Will you? What is your perception of who Jesus is to you? Is he more than a savior to you? Is he your Lord? Lord means that you are fully and completely submitted and surrendered in every area of your life to him. Savior means you can save from hell. That's it. Is he your Lord? Is he your healer? Is he your redeemer? He has changed me so much that if you knew me 35 years ago, you would not recognize me. Personality, well, even physically. <laughs> even physically. I had long hair then. <laughs> and I was much smaller then. <laughs> but God, I was a nasty person then. I was an evil woman. I did not know the word of God. I did not live it out. And I'm not glorifying the enemy. I am glorifying Jesus Christ because of how he has redeemed my life. And I don't understand sometimes how can we not press into him and embrace who he is in our lives when he's on Lord. I guess I could understand if he was just our Savior. But when he's our Lord, that means his kingdom is at hand when he is our Lord. When he is our Lord, it means we are carrying that kingdom mentality everywhere that we go in the workplace, at the supermarket. I think you call it supermarket here. In America, we call it grocery store. Uh, at the supermarket, riding on a boda boda, riding in a mutatu. Do you call those mutatus here? Yeah, okay. I didn't know if that was just Kenya. <laughs> in school. What is your perception of Jesus Christ to you? To me, he's my redeemer. He's my healer. He's my rescuer. He's my defender. 
There was a season. What year was that? Two thousand and eight. There was a season when, at my church, where I was an associate pastor. It was called the Rock of Rose. I'm now an associate pastor at Family Church. But I was an associate pastor at the Rock of Roseville, and I led all the home churches. And the lay leaders decided they were going to take me out, literally. And they called me in to have all these meetings, and they wanted all my materials. They wanted me to bring in printed copies of all the materials I've used in healing work, um, in the leadership of the small home groups. And I literally came in once a week for three months, and they grilled me, and they asked questions. And they kept asking me questions, trying to find a way that I was not walking in the Word of God, and trying to, trying to make me look like I was creating a cult. Because they accused me of creating a cult. And these are Christians inside the body of Christ. But I kept leaning in to God. And I kept calling on Jesus Christ, my defender. And who came to my rescue? But the senior pastor, Jesus Christ, through my senior pastor. Even though I was already ordained, he publicly ordained me in front of the whole church. He was my defender. He has been, since my husband's suicidal death, he has been, he has been my provision in every aspect. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he your provision? Has he redeemed who you are now? Has he redeemed that stubbornness to steadfastness? Amen? We can't hide behind our own idea and image of who we think Jesus Christ is. And remember this, if it's been difficult, it can only get more difficult. Sometimes you feel like you've given everything and it feels like God is asking for more from you. So keep in mind, nowhere in the word of God does it say safety and comfort is included. Have you seen that anywhere? If you have, I want to see that scripture. It says he will love you and never forsake you. We, as leaders in the body of Christ, as those inside the body of Christ, we need to stop the deception that Christianity, now notice I'm saying Christianity, is comfort, is provision. Jesus Christ is comfort. Jesus Christ is our provider. Amen? We, as humans, can rise to the greatest depth of failure 
without Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the Word of God says, all things are possible. That's a fact. The word impossible, when we love the Lord our God with all our strength, with all our might, with all our power, the word impossible is just an opinion. Have you ever considered that? Because the word of God, which is truth, says that all, all things are possible, not just some things. Amen? Our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if we go back to that first scripture about exhibiting and walking it out, not just telling a testimony, not just telling a message, right? We need to exhibit Jesus Christ's faith, hope, and love. This is the Christianity we need to talk about. This is what what we must impart and we must exhibit. Faith, hope, and love. Amen? Faith, hope, and love. More rhetorical questions. Do you go to Jesus Christ or do you go somewhere else? Maybe to a bar. Maybe instead of prayer, you go to a witch doctor. Who's the first person you run to when you've had a difficult moment? Do you go to Jesus Christ first? God really convicted me when my husband was alive because I would go to my best friend and share whether it was a struggle or a praise report. And then I'd go to my husband and God together. That was out of God's order. And God can brought that conviction and said, no, 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 Kimberly. You need to come to me first because I'm a jealous God. Then you go to your husband. And then you go to your girlfriends. Not the other way around. The word of God says that we must pursue God for the daily saving of our soul. It didn't say... Nowhere in the scriptures, again, and please, if you can find it, let me know. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that the daily saving of our soul would be easy. Does it say it's going to be easy? No. But the enemy lies. He lied with Adam and, to, to Adam and Eve. So, you think about that. Adam failed as we had the Adamic sin. But God had a plan. So here, I've given you three big failures. John the Baptist, who got beheaded. Jesus Christ, who was crucified, right? Now, who did I just say was the third one? <laughs> I just lost my whole train of thought. Pardon? Oh yeah, Thomas. There you go. Thomas. And Daniel in the lion's, in the lion's den. Right? He went to the lion's den and he was rescued. Doubting Thomas was the first one to call Jesus Christ God after he'd been resurrected. 
So thinking of all those different failures in the world, failure is not fatal. Has there been an area of your life where you have failed? Where you think you have failed? Or the enemy has lied to you and said, oh, you're such a failure. You know, when my husband committed suicide, I struggled for literally five years. I became so insecure because I thought I was the greatest How come? How come I couldn't keep my husband from committing suicide? And who did I think I was? Outside of his wife. And that's what God told me. You were his wife. You were his savior. You were his prophet. You were his wife. That failure, what I thought was a failure, is what has strengthened me in the latter part of my Failure is not fatal. Failure is what strengthens you. Failure is what gives God the opportunity to redeem you. It gives God the opportunity to glorify his name through you. So, how many areas have you failed? I hope you're going to say many, because that means you've had many opportunities of God to show up in his faithfulness, for God to show up and redeem your situation, for God to show up and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. He has done that over and over and over and over in our life. And I know, I know he's done it over and over in each one of your lives. Maybe in different ways, but he has. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think I went over a little bit. Sorry. There are so many things that are battling for your spirit and for your heart. But it has to be your ability to stay connected to God that will help you to rise above your circumstances, to rise above the occasions of the attacks. That will rise above the lies that try to speak to us that come from the pits of hell. Amen? Failure is an opportunity for victory. Remember, I said it was a strange title. Failure is an opportunity for God's victory. So, the question I have for everyone here today. How many of you are needing God's opportunity to show up in your life because you're lacking the victory. You're lacking a victory. You're lacking some victory. But you need today, today, to give that opportunity to God to turn that failure I'd like some of the leaders to come up and help me pray. Please. And we'll come down there.
barrier Is there anyone here that has not publicly made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior? I'd like to invite you today to give God that opportunity to have victory in your life. Or have you walked away from God? You still come to church, but you've walked away from God. You haven't turned completely from Him, but you know your life is not where it needs to be. Again, this is an opportunity to turn the light of the enemy that you're failing into victory in God and Jesus Christ. Come forward. Come forward. Let's turn those opportunities, those failures into opportunities. Hallelujah. I sense the light and water coming out that you've had some really, really deep struggles. I don't know if it's emotional struggle, I don't know if it's financial struggle. And you said, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I need you now. He's here. He's here right now. He's saying, I want to pour out over you. I want to pour out through you. I want you to be my living testimony. He's here now. But you've got to come and press in. Well, before wait, I got to turn off. So I'm just going to lead you in prayer, and then we're going to lay hands on you. Thank you. 